I just don't, I'm never going to ever trust you ever, ever again. I understand there's sometimes wisdom in not being foolhardy when it comes to forgiveness. But let's be clear that the way God forgives is completely undeserved and therefore completely more than we should ever expect. It is an insane amount of forgiveness. Basically, is what Paul is saying. This is an unwarranted amount of forgiveness. This is a, a forgiveness that none of us should ever, ever think we are owed by God. And you just match it up to your own experience of forgiveness, both offering it and receiving it. Now, we're going to speak more of grace in Ephesians 2 and 3. But just to give some, a, a kind of a simple, I know there, I, I like grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. I really like that phrase, but I don't also just want to keep saying the same tired phrases. So I was thinking about this again. Here's another way that at least thinking of this gift of grace. What bi- the Bible means by grace is it is a gift that stands completely opposite to our worthiness. The more you think you deserve something, anything from God, the more you take away from his grace. The fact that he gives purely out of the pleasure of his goodwill and purpose on those who deserve just the opposite. That is grace. And the way it's phrased here should really overwhelm us. I was trying to even think of like a a proper analogy for this, but um, here's this, this is just, one example, or one, one thing I was thinking about. Imagine you really offended, you really offended a neighbor, but then you end up needing a favor from them later. So you, you cussed out your neighbor in the night before, completely unjustly. Uh, it, was, it was not a- absolutely warranted at all. And the next day, you realize you need to borrow an expensive tool that you know he has, you can't afford to buy it, and you really need it right that moment. And so you sheepishly go over to your neighbor. You're contrite because you know you screwed up, and you're, you're saying sorry, and even as you're saying sorry, you're realizing, oh, this is just going to sound like I'm saying sorry because I need to borrow something, because as soon as I say sorry and they say, can I, you know, borrow this tool, it's just going to sound like you came to say sorry because you need to borrow the tool, but you really do, and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a mess. Your expectation is zero, right, that, that they're going to take the apology, that they're going to lend you the, the tool, but imagine the neighbor saying, hey, you know what? You can't borrow it. You can have it. You can just keep it. And in fact, if you see anything in the garage also that you need, it's yours. The tools, the car, the garage door, take it all, whatever you want. In fact, do you like the house? You can have that too. I know that's kind of a, a silly example, but that... the. How unusual that is, right? I mean, that's never going to happen in a million years, right? That is just the tiniest sliver of the over-extra abundance of God's grace to you. We should expect nothing. We really should expect nothing from God. What exactly do we have to offer to him? But we receive everything we need and more. I mean, you know, in that scenario with the neighbor, even for the neighbor to accept the apology, that would be gracious of them. But then to give 
you what you need and then way beyond what you're even asking, that's grace upon grace. And if, 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 if that is the earthly picture of it, just imagine, if you woke up this morning, that's God being gracious, more gracious than you deserve. Let alone forgiving us of our sin, even knowing we're going to sin again and again. But believing in God's grace means that we see every day and in every moment the lavishness of his grace, the overflowing abundance of his goodness to us, precisely because we deserve nothing. And he gave us everything because he gave us his son. And this kind of forgiveness is the kind of forgiveness that the Bible does call us to. The same way you forgive others is the same way the Father is going to forgive you. Now, it's not easy. And again, there's some wisdom involved, sure. I mean, people who commit um, extreme acts of, of, of crime or abuse maybe shouldn't be trusted immediately with, with something. But in terms of just the personal relationship and sentiment with someone who has asked for forgiveness, there is to be a sense, well, I'm going to treat them better than they deserve on this. It might seem foolish to the world. And again, there's some wisdom involved. Is this person truly repentant and so on? But we do, I think, often need to rethink our idea of sin and our idea of forgiveness. Because in Christ, in Christ alone, we have this grace. Now, ultimately, believing in Christ alone for redemption is the belief also that all things will be made right one day. There's a future sense. So that's all sort of past and and present, that our redemption was, of course, bought by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. We are currently in the process of, of living in his grace and in his mercy. But then uh, the last uh, section here talks about how that there is going to be a time when all things are finally made right. And as I mentioned earlier, the deliverance that God reaches or that, off, that God offers reaches its, its ultimate and final status when Jesus finally brings together all things. Look at the end of verse 8 to verse 10. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is for those Christians who think that being a Christian is just about that get out of hell free card or that there's nothing more required of the Christian than just to be forgiven and say, oh, thank you, God, and go about our lives. Paul's very clear here that God wants Christians to grow in our understanding of who he is and what his plans are so that it changes our lives. God is revealing to us not just forgiveness, like, here you go, if you believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. He is laying out and has laid out for us a plan that he wants us to understand from beginning to end so that we can be changed and transformed by it. God wants us to see history through the lens of Christ alone. He says, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. 
in all wisdom and, uh, and insight. So roughly speaking, wisdom is understanding spiritual truths. Insight is applying spiritual truths. So God wants us to know the mystery of his will, the mystery of his will meaning the gospel. Mystery uh, in, in, in Greek, the Greek language doesn't mean um, like Sherlock Holmes mystery or Agatha Christie, Christie kind of mystery. The mystery in, in the Greek literature, that word means a truth that was hidden and now revealed. Okay, And so this is something that Christ, or the God, has hinted at for ages past and is revealing now. And he's saying that he wants you to know those things so that by wisdom and insight, you can apply them to your lives. There's a reason and purpose. He wants us to see history through the lens of Christ alone. There were hints in the Old Testament that God would do these amazing things in order to redeem mankind. That is to send his own son to be the propitiation for our sins, the, the sacrificial system, the very temple itself were indications in the Old Testament that we need Jesus, that God is going to send Jesus, a mystery in the past revealed to us now. What ways should that change us as we understand that truth and as we apply that truth? In fact, even when we, this isn't just looking at the lens of history through Christ alone doesn't just mean the lens uh, or history as, as recorded here, but human history, all human history is actually painting this picture. All the struggles of humanity throughout our time on this planet point to the fact that we need Jesus. We need a Savior. This is the grid that we need to view our news, our social media, our bank accounts, our lives, that everything has been working toward revealing our need for a savior from heaven. That all things have been going according to a purpose to reveal that Jesus Christ, the son of man and the son of God, is the only way that we can be united with the one who made us. That's why having more stuff doesn't satisfy people. In the history of the world, we see this recurring theme. Doesn't matter what culture you look at at what time period, they always have, you know, proverbs and adages about how stuff doesn't satisfy things of this world you can't take with you. This is why, you know, we say knowledge is power, but then why do we know more stuff than ever before? And yet, are we, I mean, you could argue that we're better off in just strictly physical terms, material terms, but in terms of spiritually, has knowledge really been our savior? This is why politicians don't always solve our problems or rulers or kings, why every empire the earth has ever known has crumbled at some point. When we look at the grid of, of history through Christ alone, it is all pointing to the rise and fall of, of nations. All of these things is pointing to we need a permanent solution, an eternal solution. Our greatest need is to restore the relationship between God and man. And so God sent his son. I like how Charles Sell put it. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. 
If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. Jesus is the key to making sense of history and life. Not just history in the broad sense, history book sense, but your life history as well. The only way you're going to make sense of it is in the light of the eternal truths that have been revealed to us now. That this world was made in a perfect state. That through the sin of our forebears, Adam and Eve, sin was introduced into the world and into our lives. And that only through the Son of God himself, true God and true man, entering into time history, entering into our flesh, could we be reconciled to God by his own death which is a payment for our sins, which is a liberation of our indebtedness to sin. God is revealing to us through the, mystery, the, the revelation of these mysteries in his word and in the life of Christ, the things that we need to live our lives more faithfully, more richly, more according to his purpose, to make good choices, to make choices that matter for time And for eternity, God wants us to see history through the lens of Christ alone. But God wants us also to see future history through the lens of Christ alone. The phrase when he says, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Paul is reminding us that Jesus is truly the centerpiece, not just of redemptive history, but all history of time and space, of this whole creation. Christ alone is the focus of it. Christ is not sharing that with anyone. There's no other religions that are, can cooperate with this. It is only the biblical Jesus, the biblical God, this, this special revelation from the creator to his creation that tells us the truths about what is going to happen. And it is, is only about Jesus. The history of the universe isn't written in the blind, unfeeling interactions of atoms and forces acting on each other. That is not the story of the universe. It isn't a blind process with no purpose and no goal. The history of the universe doesn't have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C. I tend to doubt there's anything like a multiverse or whatever the popular theories are. All we know is that in this existence, the plan is a person. The purpose is a person. The meaning is a person, and that person is God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ, that all things would be united in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What does that that mean? That's not pantheism. Pantheism is the idea that all is God and everything is God. God is in everything. God is in the, the bench. God is in the nature. We're all part of God in some way. We are God. God is us. That's pantheism. That's not the kind of unity that Jesus is bringing. The word unite means to gather up as a whole. 
And what are the two parts that Jesus is uniting? Heaven and earth. Now, we've said this before, but heaven isn't like, like a location or a place per se. It is the dwelling place of God where God is. Now, God is spirit. So you can't like locate him or locate heaven. It's kind of a conceptual thing. It's a spiritual thing. For heaven and earth to be united then is really to say that God will be where we are and we will be where God is. That's all it means. It means that we will be, it's, it's kind of a, a way of saying that, that God and humans will no longer have and experience this separation. But in Christ, in Christ alone, there will be a union. Just as in Christ there's this perfect union of God and man, our ultimate purpose and goal is that we will be once more reunited in a perfect relationship with our creator and maker. That there will be a day when even the sin-cursed creation will be renewed and restored. That our own sin-cursed bodies will also be renewed and restored. And we will finally be together with God forever and ever, just as Revelation speaks of. Jesus uniting them, being the only one to unite them, is to say that he is the bridge for how God and men will be able to dwell together eternally. Through his work alone, he brings heaven and earth together. He's the only one. No other figure in any other religion even comes close to claiming these kinds of things. By character and by nature and by deed, no other religion is saying anything close to these words. As hard as atheists try to analogize Jesus to some Egyptian god or some Greek god and the silliness, there is no other place except here that says for us humans to be reconciled to God, 100% God, 100% man must come and unite us together. That is Christ alone. No one else has done this. No one else stands at the center of history, literally dividing time before, you know, before there was, before common era and common era. What was there? Before Christ and in the year of our Lord. He literally is the only one who has split time in history because of what he has done. Only God, only Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone. In him alone is redemption. And that needs to change us. That needs to motivate us. And if you're not a Christian, that needs to be your cry today. That God would be the one to forgive you. That you would plead with him your sin. Not your works, but your sin. God, I have done this wrong. I have done that. To confess to him your sins and repent and ask his forgiveness. And if you do, God is perfectly willing and desiring to lavish grace, mercy, forgiveness upon you. So would you do that this morning if you're not a Christian? If you have any questions about that, come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Chris or Bing. We'd love to share with you more about this God and this gospel. If you are a Christian this morning, hopefully something here turned your, your mind around a little bit. Um, if, if it hasn't, get in a, in a truck and just do like a couple hundred miles a few sermons on and just start thinking about life. It's uh, <laughs> most, one of the most humbling things you can probably do. But I pray that something in this uh, sermon by the Spirit's power will, will, will draw you near to him. That's my prayer anyway. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you.
Lord, that your word has given us so many riches to consider. And Lord, even if uh, one thing were to enrapture our, our souls today, one thought about who you are, one realization of who we are, one thing to change, one thing to reconsider, one thing to, to ask forgiveness for, one thing to confess to someone else, that would be fine. Lord, just to change us a little bit would be so much grace we don't deserve. Um, to take the little step towards holiness would be an absolute miracle. So Lord, that's what we're asking for, is that miracle of your spirit working in our lives. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna close by singing